Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hovind. Hey there, and welcome to the show today. I'm Tim Chafee. And I'm Eric Hovind. And this is the Bible Q&A podcast. We've got a great show lined up for you today on episode number 10. Thank you for joining us. You know, I'm excited, Tim. I looked at the stats. 12 different countries have downloaded this podcast. Now, it may have only been like five or six in each country, but 12 countries and maybe just for like two seconds, right? They yeah, might, yeah. And they, might, they probably <laughs> download, listen to a little bit, and they're like, yeah, what are we going Right. Hey, also shout out to... But that's to, pretty good since we haven't even really promoted it much yet. Yeah, so that, that's I'm, pretty good. I'm actually really excited, guys. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for sharing this with your friends uh, and people that are interested in the Bible and getting answers to questions about the Bible. If you do have questions, by the way, I want to throw this out right away. You can just send them in to BQA, Bible Q&A. Uh, so bqa at creationtoday.org is an email address you can send those to. And Tim, I got to give a little shout out to my friend Leo. Uh, Leo wrote in one of our questions today, and he also wrote in he binged listened to six episodes on a drive from <laughs> Pensacola. He, his family got to come visit all the way back up to Washington, D.C., and he binged listened, and believe it or not, <laughs> Did not fall asleep on the road with his family in the vehicle. Can you believe it? He hasn't been committed to a mental ward or anything yet? <laughs> not that I know of. Not, and okay. he's a physician, so... Uh. <laughs> okay, so it's, so that this podcast is safe for for your mind, I guess you, you could say, right? I, well, he didn't comment on that, so I'm not going okay. to make a professional decision or, or, or comment okay. on that either. Okay, that's probably wise. Well, Leo, thanks for listening. Yeah, that's great. First question we got here is actually from Chris, and it's a really good one. He says, how would you respond to those who set Genesis chapter 1 against Genesis chapter 2? So set them against each other as an objection to interpreting Genesis as uh, literal, as you can take it literal. And this is kind of known as the two creation accounts. Uh, For those of you that are not familiar with this, Genesis chapter 1 kind of lays out how God did things, day one, two, three, four, five, six, and then the rest of the seventh day. And then in Genesis 2, it goes in and it says, uh, in Genesis 2, he made man, then he made some animals or, or something like that. And it, 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 I've never read it with that objection, Tim, but I, I hear this objection come up. So let's, let's talk through what the objection actually is and then talk through the answers to those. Yeah, you, you started to explain it. The, the Genesis 1 is giving us the six days of creation where God's making everything. Genesis 2 chap, starts off with um, God resting on the seventh day. Now, let me go back to Genesis 1 for a second. The last thing God makes on day six is, is man, male and female. Um, and then, so he's made the animals, he's made the plants, all of those things before he's made man. Then in Genesis chapter 2, after the God rests on the seventh day, then it starts off by him making man, then making a garden, putting man in the Garden of Eden. And then, um, you know, of course, that garden would include the fruit trees and everything. And then he, um, it seems like he's making some animals that Adam is supposed to name. It says this in verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So people look at that and say, well, you've got 
in Genesis 1, you've got the the plants and the animals first, and then man, and then in Genesis chapter 2, obviously you got man first, and then you've got um, the, these plants, and then you've got the animals, and then he, after that he uh, names these animals, and then he, God puts Adam into a deep sleep, and then Adam, uh, God makes Eve from Adam's side. So you've just got this complete contradiction, all these differences in the order of events. Uh, it's just helplessly um, at odds, and so obviously these are me not meant to be literal historical accounts that you know we're supposed to take in a in a literal fashion and that's usually the objection uh that comes from skeptics who will want to try to poke holes in the bible that comes from uh christians who for whatever reason don't want to accept the uh the biblical creation account as being historically uh historically accurate is maybe it's not the way they would say it it's the way we would phrase it they would say oh yeah we think it's accurate we're just not supposed to take it in a straightforward manner and and they point to this supposed contradiction uh as as proof of that well but there's a, a pretty easy way to resolve this uh first we have to understand that genesis 1 is showing us big picture and it's going through those days of creation, saying, here's what God did on each of those days. So on day one, he makes the heavens, the earth, and the light. Day two, he makes the uh, the expanse, you know, our atmosphere and, and maybe uh, some of outer space uh, to some degree. And day three, he makes the, uh, the dry land and the plants. Day four, he makes the sun, moon, and the stars. And day five, he makes the swimming creatures and the flying creatures. And then day six, you've got the land animals and then uh, man, male and female, uh, Adam and Eve. Then what Genesis 2 does, after God rests on the seventh day, it zooms in on that sixth day of creation. And it tells us how God made man from the dust of the ground. And then it tells us that he made a plants a garden and puts the man in the garden. It doesn't say, then God made all the plants. It's just this, this special place, this specific place of what we call the Garden of Eden. And then, while he's in the garden, you get that verse about the animals. And that's really the, the trickiest part of this. But there's two different ways that resolve this without any issues at all. So there's, there's a couple ways you can do this. Can I interrupt you uh, just for a second, Tim, and go... No. Yeah. Please. <laughs> no, no. When, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a roll, man. You are, man. You're, you're cruising. <laughs> and you're about to get to the answer. And I know that's what everybody wants. But let me just... Uh, you, you mentioned day number three, only made certain plants. He, mm -hmm. or, Excuse me. Uh, in, in the Garden of Eden, only made certain plants. Those were the ones that were good for food, right? Good to look at, good for food. It wasn't every kind of plant. And and the animals, he didn't make every single kind of animal well, that had been made. Even, was, even on day three, he doesn't make every kind of plant. Because what you read in Genesis 2, 5, and 6, um, it says that he before any plant of the field had grown, before any uh, uh, plant uh, herb of the field and plant of the plant of the fields it mentions two different plants uh types of plants those are the cultivated plants and those are the like the wild uh the wild shrubs of the steppe things that have thorns in them and so what it's telling us in genesis chapter 2 it's not saying this god did all this before he made any plants it's saying before there were cultivated plants and before there were thorny plants the reason those weren't there yet is because man wasn't there yet to cultivate the ground and man hadn't sinned yet which Obviously, there's no thorns yet. So it's setting us up at the beginning of chapter 2 for what's about to happen. Because okay. God's going to make man, and then we're going to see man fall. But the plants in the garden that you're talking about, yeah, the fruit trees, the ones that uh, they're going to be able to eat from, those are the ones that are specifically talked about in chapter 2. So, yeah, it is narrowing in on just what happened in the garden on day 6. Nice. So, okay. the, the, yeah, so the solution to the issue with the animals is um, it, it's possible that God is just making representatives 
of the different animal kinds. So he's already filled the whole earth with with animals, presumably uh, in Genesis chapter one. You know the the swimming creatures are teeming in the seas. The the flying creatures are are teeming. You know throughout the air they're, they're just swarming. So you have so many different creatures. Uh, and then the land animals he makes on day six, presumably, you know all over the earth. They're he's created not just in one specific location. And then in Genesis chapter two, he makes these. Uh, Adam's there, and then he wants Adam to name the animals. So it's possible that he's making representatives right there in front of Adam so Adam can see God making these animals. Uh, so that that's one way to do it. The other way to look at that is the verb where it says, um, out of the ground the Lord Lord God formed every beast. That can also be translated in the pluperfect form. And what that would mean is that it would say, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and he brought them to Adam. So it's, it's referring to those that he's already made earlier in the day and he's just bringing representatives to Adam. So either he's making them right there, making representatives right there, he's already made the rest of them, or it's talking about the ones he's already made and he just brings them to Adam. Either way resolves the so-called contradiction and shows that these are not two separate distinct creation accounts that different editors put together and you know, well, even if you want to say that it was different writers or, or something like that, um, you have to give the writers and the editors, uh, you know, if, if that's what it was, uh, you have to give the writer or give the editors a little bit of credit. You know, don't, don't you think a lot of times the Eric, the skeptic tends to think that the biblical writers like the biggest buffoons that have ever they do. They call them, they call them stone age, uh, goat herders. And they try to try to present this idea that the people that wrote the Bible were incredibly stupid. And, I go, have you ever read it? I mean, when you go through the scriptures, I don't think you can say they were stupid for sure. I mean, that is just an outright, uh, uh, I don't even, I want to use the same word to them. That's a stupid idea, okay, that, that they were stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's silly to think that a writer is going to just flat out contradict himself from one chapter to the next. It's so Blatant. so blatantly rather than saying hmm i wonder if he has a different reason for what he's doing here or, or maybe there's a way to look at this so that it's not contradicting uh the previous chapter and when we do that when we when we take a closer look we see that yeah it's, it's pretty easy to reconcile this there's no contradiction here it's just we have to understand what's happening in genesis one is big picture genesis two zooms in on day six and then it's really the issue of the animals uh that are either being made or the ones that had been made uh, verses 17 and 18. And that resolves really all of the uh, so-called difficulties there. Okay, so two things here. Number one, I had a, a professor in college, a Hebrew professor, who said the Hebrew writers would often write this way, like Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1 is the big picture. God created the heavens and the earth. Then chapter 1 zooms in on the details. And then chapter 2, starting in verse 4, uh, two, four on, that's zooming in on day six. So you have this idea, big picture, then give you the, the, the other points, the days, and then zoom in just on day six. And so you're constantly giving more detail. Yeah, what's th that's known technically as introductory encapsulation. That's why so, I got that wrong on the quiz. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what it does is it, the Hebrew does this quite a bit. We do this in English. You know, when you're writing a paragraph, you have your first sentence, your theme sentence. Um, a lot of times it's, it's kind of informing you what the rest of it's going to be about. Um, so he, the Hebrew language does this. That's Genesis 1 1 does function that way, but uh, so it includes, it's not just a theme verse, it's also beginning the narrative, telling you what's going on. Uh, there's a very, <laughs> it, 
if you don't think this happens in Hebrew, then um, I th when you go through the flood account, Noah and the animals get on the ark like three different times. Um, <laughs> the the most uh, most uh, strange one that I know of, uh, the strangest one I know of, is with Jacob the night that he gets married and he thinks that he, he thinks he's marrying Rachel, and and it's not Rachel, it's Leah because uh, Laban tricks him. Surprise! Um, the surprise, way it sets, <laughs> yeah, the way it sets up, and in, in, when you read it, it's like they go into the 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 bedroom basically, and then uh, well, we know they're, they're going to consummate the marriage, but then um, Laban brings the handmaiden as well, and he. <laughs> So it makes it seem like in the middle of the night, Laban, if you're reading it like in a strictly woodenly literal, you know, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It makes it seem like Laban brings the handmaiden in the, you know, in the middle of the night and all sorts of weird stuff going on. But that's not the way it is. It's just here's the introductory encapsulation. And then here's the things that happened afterwards, even though in the narrative, it's just just you read one after the other. So. Yes, and so that is Genesis chapter 29, and we know that he served for seven years. Tim, did your son-in-law have to serve for seven years to get your only daughter? No. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm. now you've brought up a sore subject. That is I'm a kidding. sore subject. Oh, that son-in-law. <laughs> yeah, okay, hey, um, one, one more point. I won't say what I really think of him. So, <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> Hey. hey, Eric, you can't see right now. You can't see what I'm wearing. No. I know you had commented, you joked with me before, like, what was that? What was yeah, the shirt you were wearing show, last? Yeah, you were in like some kind of rugby, <laughs> rugby jersey or something. I was like, what? Because I, 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 for those of you listening, we don't get to watch each other. We're only on cell phones talking to each other, recording on our separate ends. He's up in Tennessee. I'm down here in Florida. And I I'm get the Kentucky. video footage back from him. And well, Kent, put up a picture. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can and look at this. He's wearing this like black and green rugby jersey, and I'm like, what is that? Yeah, well, Eric can't see what I'm wearing right now, so he's gonna be surprised <laughs> when he gets this because I've got a different rugby oh, shirt on boy. this time. And this one, I like this one a lot. I mean, it's not the one I was wearing before was my my favorite Super Rugby team. This is of a different Super Rugby team, but this one's from the the Reds, the Queen Queensland Reds, and um, the, I like it because on the shirt itself, it's got two of my favorite animals. It's got a dragon. Uh, which we could talk about as maybe being like a dinosaur, and it's also got a koala, so uh, it's kind of a cool jersey. And um, you only so like I, the koala because you work for Ken Ham. That's what's going. No, on. actually, uh, I don't know if I should get into this too much. When I was like in, when I was a little kid, that was always the stuffed animal that I collected, and I passed those on to my daughter. Um, oh, that's true. I, she, whenever, loves, she loves koalas as well. Yeah, well, whenever I got. Um, uh, to do reports in in elementary school, you know, I'd always do it on Australia. I just was always fascinated with it, and uh, maybe it was God preparing me to, to work with uh, uh, quite a few Australians. So, <laughs> well, you're blessed, uh, that's for sure. I love what yeah, love what you I, guys they, do. Uh, I do too, and they there. they've got a fun accent to make it to. <laughs> it's even better. So, hey, uh, um, point number two I wanted to make is just that uh, I use uh, Ray Comfort's Evidence Bible. Now, on the Bible Q&A podcast, I know, Tim, you probably wouldn't agree with all the comments that Ray Comfort makes in here, but uh, so I'll give that caveat and I'll let you address that if you want to, but I'm just telling well, you. Well, I mean, he's only like, what, 5'1", five, 5'2"? Five, five, no, That's he's, No, he's, he's like 5'5", five, five, and so I see things from a higher perspective. I think I can... <laughs> Mr. Six foot eight guy. Oh, that's yeah. So when uh, Tim comes no, out Ray, with his Ray's own great. Bible and his own commentary on the Bible, I'll let you know about that. But right now, hey, but hey, speaking of Ray, you know he is a big rugby fan. He likes the the New Zealand All Blacks like I do, and so we we chat about that when when I get to see him. But yeah, he's very quick witted. He's oh, a sharp guy, hilarious. and um, 
Yeah, well, and yeah, very funny. Well, let me tell you one of the things I lo- love about this Bible. It is the evidence Bible, and what he does is he goes through and answers questions to objections that he hears out on the street. And that's what I love about this. Common questions and objections about God, about Jesus Christ, uh, about salvation, hypocrisy, creation, evolution, Ten Commandments. And matter of fact, one of the very first uh, topics that he addresses is what we were talking about right there in Genesis. He goes through, can the days of creation be long periods of time? Answering that question. Are there two different creation accounts in the Bible? Answering that question. So I love it that throughout this Bible, he gives so much content that is apologetic focused in how do we defend and encouragement focused, how do we encourage? So uh, love uh, the Evidence Bible and uh, really, really highly, highly recommend that for those of you that want to do Bible study or that are interested in apologetics and evangelism. So I guess that'll be our commercial break for the day. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, we got another question from Cece. She asked, I've heard Christians use 2 Peter 1 Three, to claim that the Bible gives us all the answers we need for life. Does this passage or any other in the Bible really give us all the answers that we need? Well, Cece, thanks for the question. Tim? Yeah, I I mean, very obviously the Bible doesn't give us the answer to every single situation that we're ever going to face in life. It doesn't tell us, you know, how to put up drywall. It doesn't tell us (laughs) how to... Uh, I mean, I guess there's a passage in Leviticus that talks about if there's mold and everything, you take, you know, you're tearing these things out and you're repatching. But yeah, it doesn't tell you how to do drywall or how to fix, you know, a, a transmission for your vehicle. It, it it's not meant to do that. But um, it, it the Bible does give us everything that we need to know to um, to serve the Lord, to um, believe on Him, and also to faithfully serve him. But l- let's take a look at this verse and, and see what it says, because I think a lot of times people will take it beyond uh, maybe what it's saying. And um, uh, what I'm going to, I think my answer is probably going to be a little controversial for some people. So we'll try to unpack it here in a, in a bit. But here's what it says, uh, for 2 Peter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that's the that's the phrase that people usually pick up on, is that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, if you think about it, the passage doesn't actually claim that the Bible gives us the answer to everything we need, does it? No. In fact, it doesn't even talk about the Bible. It says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It doesn't say, and God's in God's word is everything that you need for life and godliness. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. So so we, I think as modern Christians, a lot of times we look back and say, well, the Bible is God's word, and I agree. And so that's how we're going to read that, is that God... His divine power through his word, we're kind of adding that idea, um, that's how he's done it. Well, he's also given us the Holy Spirit. And by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're also empowered to live godly lives. He has given us, in that sense, all things that pertain to life and godliness, but he hasn't given us instructions. Uh, is that the, the way the question uh, the answers? He hasn't given us answers to every single situation. Uh, he hasn't given us answers on how to deal with um, or, you know, how, you know, if somebody's got, um, 
a severe, and I don't know if I know the politically correct way to say this changed all the time, so pardon me if I don't use the right thing anymore, but um, severe mental handicap or something like that, that they just, their, their brain just does not work right. And there's, there's certain ways to, uh, you know, there's certain things that, what, that you would do with, norm, with other kids that you're raising that just don't work with somebody who can't comprehend or can't understand those things. The Bible can give us, um, it can give us direction or principles on how to deal th- with certain situations, but it doesn't give us answers in every single situation. And I think that, um, you know, my wife and I talk about this from time to time. And it's one area where I think a lot of conservative churches have, have sort of failed um, families in, in thinking that uh, if you've got a, a kid who, whose mind does not work properly, well, it's obviously it's because of sin. And it's like, well, in one sense, yes, it's because of Adam's sin that all of this, that we're in the mess that we're in. But sometimes it's not because they're actually doing something sinful. Sometimes it's because they, their mind just does not work in a normal way, what we would determine to be normal. And I think that we, uh, sometimes we ostracize families who are going through some, some very difficult situations as a result. Um, and I know that's probably going to be pre- pretty controversial for some people, but until you're in situations like that or until you, you are close friends with, with people who are going through that and you can see, uh, it, it's really hard to make that kind of, that kind of call. Yeah, no kidding. I, I like what you said there, how the Bible gives us the principles that may not give us the exact scenario. Obviously, it's not talking about computers. It's not talking about smoking. It's not talking about a, a lot of things uh, that, that pertain to the way we live today. But I would say, I, I like what you said. The principles are there. The principle of love one another. What does it look like to live with or to, uh, to be the care provider uh, for an individual who can't reason properly, who can't function uh, in, in a way, maybe properly isn't even the right word, in a, in a way that everybody else does. What does it look like to do that? And here are the principles of love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast, love doesn't care for itself. It's, it's, so all these principles that are laid out in the Bible, I think, are there for life. And, um, and I would say the principles for all of life are there found in the Scripture. Yeah, that's what I would say too. Is the principles we can find, and we can use those to guide our decisions. But um, as far as having the actual individual answer for each of those situations, it it just doesn't give us that, and uh, that's okay. That's God wants us to seek Him, and He wants us to uh, be in in fellowship with Him. So we're praying, we're reading His Word, we're uh, we're meeting with fellow believers to to work through these different things and, and trying to figure those out. And that's, uh, and plus we're guided by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, we can, uh, we can reach the right conclusions. It's just sometimes very difficult to know what those are. And yeah. I, I think we need to, um, to understand that, uh, sometimes it's, it's not just, it's not completely black and white and, and really easy to, to figure out. I'll tell you this, Tim, the longer I live, the more and more grace I find myself wanting to have towards other people and the decisions that they make on how to uh, behave or handle situations. I just go, you know what? Uh, years ago, that would have been black and white. Here's what you should do to your child. And now that I've got teenagers, it's a little bit, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit different. I can understand a little bit more grace and a little bit more. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, we, we've had the same experience. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we were, 
when we were young and stupid. We, <laughs> well, when I was young and stupid. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Your wife. Stupid. I don't think she was. Ever, she was young. Still we is together. Young. I, I, still I is dragged young. her down. So we together we were. But <laughs> um, yeah, there were certain things where it was always well, this is why, and it yeah. was always black and white until you actually go through and experience some of the things. You know, wisdom hopefully will come with you know as you age. Um, and, and you do understand how much patience and how much grace and how much mercy God has had on you, Amen. then you learn to start extending that to others. And uh, we really need to do that. Some people have had 30 or 40 years of experience. Other people have had one year of experience 30 or 40 times. You need to have 30 or 40 years of experience. That's what you need. Not one year of experience over and over and over and keep doing the same thing. <laughs> hey, uh, Tim, CC asked a follow-up question to, to that question about uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. She said, some Christians have told me that they don't read books other than the Bible because they aren't inspired. Is that a wise approach? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've heard that a lot, too, and you probably have, too. A lot I, of times I thought it, that. There was a time in my life where I went, you oh. know what? Forget everything else. This has everything I need. Let me just study this and just study the Bible, which I, I do love pouring my life into the Bible and studying the things of the Word of God. But I, I had to, um, I almost want to say mature out of that thinking. I think it's kind of a, a, a juvenile thinking. Maybe I'm being too harsh on that. But actually, Tim, let's well, hear your answer. No, I think it's exactly right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I've heard it a lot too, and it usually has to do with when somebody is trying to argue with you about something, and you mm. correct them or you show them, you know, several times where you know contextually they're they're not right or where this word actually doesn't mean what they think it does or where, you know, you show them certain things and they're like, well, I don't I don't listen to those so-called experts. I don't read what other people have written. I just read the Bible. It's like, no, you misread the Bible, and. Uh, what it sounds noble and it sounds you know super spiritual that this is all I want to do. Um, and before I go any further, prioritize the Bible. Yes, put that as the most important thing that you're reading. Yes, and study the Bible. Uh, you know, as you're trying to de determine the meaning of a passage, you don't immediately run to a commentary. You don't immediately take off and try to find out what your pastor has said or what other. Study the Bible for yourself in context, and after you've done that research, then you go on and see what other people have said. Um, so as far as prioritizing the Bible, yeah, absolutely do that. But refusing to read what other people have written, I think is, uh, um, you called it... Um, Let's just, I, I would use the word foolish. I think that's a foolish I, position to take. Uh, I think it's a, I, yeah, I think it's naive. Maybe um, that's a better word, yeah, a simple. Yeah, simple. I, I, it's too I, simplistic. It is, because here, here's the reason, um, and Eric, somebody that, usually the, the way that I go with this is when somebody says that, it's like, well, do, I'll ask, do you have a pastor? Well, yeah. Well, do you listen to what he says? Sure. <laughs> well, what's, hold what's on. What's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference? Yeah, God, God has called this person, presumably, and, and gifted them with the ability to teach and preach God's word, and you're willing to listen to them and submit to them, and God bless you, you should, if, if it's a godly pastor. Um, but don't you think he's done that with other people throughout history that maybe aren't your pastor? Don't you think he's gifted, you know, godly people throughout the history of the church to understand his word, to teach that to to people around them, to write it down in a way that can be understood? I mean, do, do you really think God has never done that with anybody that you can't learn from somebody else who's filled by the Holy Spirit um, or filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, I should say? Uh, what if your pastor writes a book 
are you willing to read that one and, and see what he says? Do you see how this breaks down and how naive it really is? It, it's, it's almost as if saying, God can't teach me through any other method. He can't use anybody to teach me anything. Um, the only place I'm going to ever learn anything is from reading the Bible. But there's a lot of things, if you're just reading the Bible, Eric, and this is probably, I, I, you and I had talked about this before. You're not going to understand everything in the Bible if you don't understand some of the cultural setting. Yes, context, context, that, context. Right, that the Bible doesn't actually give us in some cases. Uh, so you have to know the, the context, the setting of what's taking place there. And then it actually has much deeper meaning and you start to rightly understand what's being said there. Um, can you understand the big picture of Scripture without that background? Sure. But... Uh, to, to go into detail, to really dive in, you do need to know that cultural setting. You need to know uh, the, the language and all those different things and the different idioms that they would use. And you know, once you understand those things, then you can have a, a better understanding of what God is teaching. And I, I think it's almost, um, I, I'm going to be, again, kind of strong with my language. It's, it's hypocritical to, to say, hey, all I do is study this because you're already taking what you've learned throughout all your life and using that as your as your presuppositions as your filter to to then read the word of god so i think it's hypocritical in that regard and kind of the other side of that coin now you're once if we disagree on on what a passage says now you're wanting me to trust your interpretation of what it says even though i'm reading the word of god and coming away with a different interpretation yeah, that's a great point. That, that's exactly right, because they're trying to teach you when they're refusing to be taught by others. Yeah. And and when you think about I mean, you would have to, in order to have this position, you, you need to be a Greek scholar and a Hebrew scholar and, uh, and, a, and a historian and an archaeologist. And, a, the, and an Aramaic scholar. And an Aramaic scholar. All these, you'd, in order to say, hey, I'm going to only read this, you got to kind of be the best of the best in all those fields. And... Um, Maybe, maybe you and are. And nobody is. Maybe that is you. Right. Uh, I, I doubt it. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but nobody is. I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit is, and he, and he, as I've said before, he indwells us. He, he can illuminate our minds as we read his word. I mean, that certainly can happen, and we should pray that God guides and directs us through his Holy Spirit as we read. That certainly we should be doing that. But it, it, it just is, it is really naive to think that nobody else can teach you or that nobody else can, has ever studied this. You know, Eric, you and I have talked about this before too. There's some people who spend their entire adult lives, you know, their whole professional career studying like one book of the Bible. Yeah. Do you think that maybe they would have a little deeper insight on things that they could share? It doesn't mean that you instantly trust them and, and you know, take everything that they say as gospel truth. No. But you, you listen and you weigh that against Scripture and... Uh, you 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 pray about that and then you make a decision from there. But you don't um, you don't just throw that out just because you want to try to win our, an argument by using this cheap line like oh I only use the Bible. And uh, to me it kind of reeks of false humility. And um, I think as Christians we need to be above that. Um, it, so yeah, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's a wise position to say I only do this. I just um, realized I do not need to be apologetic in my language because they're not listening to this podcast anyway. So it <laughs> doesn't matter what I say about them. And if you are listening, then again, why are you? Congra you're, no, congratulations! Yeah, you're, thank you for listening. You're well on your way. Good job. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't I don't think it's a wise position to take. I understand the sentiment, but I think it's a I think it's very short sighted and. Uh, we need to think deeper than that. 
But again, yes, prioritize the Bible over and above all the other writings that you might read. That's where discernment comes in. That's why when we read other writings, we say, hey, let's be like Bereans and let's take those writings back to Scripture. What's our understanding? What do we, what do we get? But that's one of the reasons I yeah. love this podcast. I have learned things in talking with Tim over the years. Uh, we've done series together like the Risen series where you brought out some things based on your study and the, and the men that, and, and the, the people that you've studied that have, that have spent their lives on these subjects that, that illuminated for me even more of Scripture and more depth than I ever would have got in just my Bible study and reading on my own. And I, so that's one of the reasons I love uh, doing this podcast with you because I, I love learning and, and I learn a yeah, lot. Yeah, well, well, we're truly blessed in, in this culture, in, in our time, to have so much good information at our fingertips. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not getting paid to advertise them, but I use um, Logos Bible software and I've been using it just about every day of my life for the last 15 years um, to, to study the Bible, to read the Bible. But I've, I've got over 4,000 books at the tips of my fingers, just right there on the computer, or I have access to them on my tablet or on my phone. And I've got commentaries and lexicons and, you know, all sorts of things right there, uh, along with like 25 different Bible versions and a, a bunch of Greek versions and a bunch of Hebrew versions and Latin and uh, German. And, and it's all right there on my phone if I want it. We have access to good scholarship and we, we should use it rather than neglect it. Yeah. Hey, next question. Uh, shout out to Leo again. Thank you for writing this question. I thought this was great. And, uh, and, and I think this can be a challenging one for, for believers. And uh, I know I've heard this used by skeptics uh, for sure. This question that comes out, and Leo, for those of you listening, Leo is not a skeptic. He is a man who loves God's Word and loves studying God's Word and loves teaching God's Word in his own local church. Uh, he says, and as we found out, he loves our podcast. And I was about to say, he says, Tim and Eric, uh, <laughs> thank you, Tim and Eric, for answering tough questions. One question that I have, if God knew Jesus would rise from the dead, what was the true cost to God to sacrifice his son? And then he follows it up. He says, I ask this in sincerity. I know that Jesus needed to die for my sins. So pain and suffering occurred. But in the long run, what did it cost God? And he said, I know it almost sounds heretical. He does not mean this is a heretical question. It's a genuine question. And I'll just use that, Leo, to say thank you. And there are those that are asking it, kind of trying to be heretical. And there are those that are genuinely seeking the truth. There are those looking for harmony in Scripture and those looking for controversy in Scripture. And so I love, uh, I love the tone that this comes in. And, and thanks, thanks for asking it. Tim, what yeah, do you great think? question. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a great question and one that we we got to think through a bit here. Uh, obviously, Leo is correct that that God knew his son was going to die and he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew that Jesus was going to endure tremendous pain and suffering before he sent Jesus into the world. He he knew those things were going to take place, so he certainly was not surprised by it. Uh, but the question is, what is the cost to God, to God the Father? Uh, to send his son and sacrifice, have his son be sacrificed for our sins. And the, I think the first thing I want to do is, is make sure that we, uh, our listeners understand what we're talking about here is not uh, this, this false view or uh, it's been called a heresy throughout history called patripassionism. And what that's from the Latin, um, patri is father. So the idea that the father suffered, you know, during, uh, well, during, the crucifixion while Jesus was on the cross, uh, he didn't suffer, you know, physical pain or anything like that. He wasn't enduring the tortures of the cross. The Father wasn't 
Jesus Christ, the Son, was enduring those things. Um, so we're not, in our answer, we're not talking about that. But um, it, that, that whole idea, the reason it's, it's a problem is that it fails to understand some of the distinctions within the Trinity. It, it's really like a form of modalism. Um, and it's a, you know, the Father and the Son and the Spirit in modalism are really the same person and the same being and so they but he just shows up as father in the old testament he shows up as son in the in the gospels and then as the holy spirit later on and that's not the correct view of the trinity where we have three distinct uh yet equal uh, persons who are all god so you've got three persons in one uh, but one being um so it's that's that's the trinity so th we're not talking about that view here um but eric think about this for a little bit um if you knew your son was going to go through something very difficult, um, but you knew on the other side everything was going to be all right. So if you knew he had to go through some really uh, difficult surgery or something where there's going to be a lot of pain and recovery, a lot of a difficult time, so maybe he tears his ACL. Um, but, you know, we've gotten really good at treating ACLs now. Maybe he goes to Dr. Andrews. I think that's the guy that works with all the top athletes. And, um, you know, he's going to be all right nine, ten months from now. But it's going to be excruciating for a while. And uh, is, there, is there a cost to you as a father who loves his son? Absolutely. There is still a cost to me. I, I don't want to see my son going through the pain that I know he's going to have to endure. But I know at the end of the surgery, the outcome should be better by going through that pain. Um, when, it, when it comes to this question, I, I read a tweet actually last night that I went, you know what, this really does help me understand and, and classify this. Uh, a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Lawson, uh, somebody retweeted his tweet, it came across my feed. He said, our souls now, excuse me, only souls now in hell can even begin to faintly understand the divine wrath that Jesus suffered for our sins upon the cross. And I thought, wow, knowing what he did have to endure, even though he knew it was, it was not going to be eternal, or he would, and maybe that's a question we can ask, was it an eternal punishment in a finite amount of time? How do you, how do you reconcile that? But knowing that the, on the other side of that would bring about the salvation of mankind, I don't, I don't think that takes away from the pain of having to go through the circumstances, having to go through that problem, having to go through that suffering. Right. I don't think that it does either. And, and if you take this a step farther, I mean, your own love for your child is, is flawed. I mean, we're sinful. We have, we're selfish at times. Sometimes when we, we truly do love our child and we would give our lives for them in a heartbeat. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of times where what we think is love is really our own self selfishness. And uh, we, when we hurt for them, sometimes it's because, well, maybe it just doesn't look that great for us. And uh, you know what I mean? That we have a, a selfish sort of love at times Absolutely. and um but god is perfect he doesn't have that so he has his love must be perfect can you imagine that the perfect loving relationship be, that exists between the members of the trinity from between father and son and father and holy spirit and then and, you know also son to holy spirit and uh, there's it, it's perfection and we, we don't we don't really grasp that and so for god the father to see his son spend over 30 years in a humble state, you know, leave the glories of heaven and come down to earth and uh, be born of a woman, be 
uh, somebody who was a baby that would would need to be fed and would cry and need to have his his well probably not a diaper at that time but his ha- need to be changed, changed. <laughs> his swaddling yes. clothes yeah he needed to be changed and uh, he was uh, rejected by his own people the very people that he came to save many of them many of the leaders rejected him he was beaten he was mocked he was flogged and then ultimately he was crucified. Um, we understand that to some degree the physical torments Jesus endured. We can't really grasp the emotional and spiritual uh, aspects of that. But um, but imagine watching your own son go through all of that. And uh, think about if God was grieved in Genesis chapter six when he you know he made man and man had become so wicked up you know shortly before the time of the flood. God said uh, the Bible tells us God was grieved that he had made man, and that's why he's going to wipe them out because they had become so exceedingly wicked. If he's grieved over that, wouldn't he be grieved over his own son uh, being uh, suffering so much, not just the physical pain, but also uh, everything else that he's enduring? But um, I guess, think about it this way. As Christians, when a loved one passes away, do we grieve? Yeah. Yeah, but if they were a believer, we we don't grieve like those who have no hope. That's true. I've we don't mourn. How do you go to a funeral and handle the pain when there is no hope, when, uh, you know, for an unbeliever, that's, uh, it's tough. It is. That, that would be very difficult. But, but we don't, when we lose a loved one who's a believer, we don't mourn like those who have no hope because for us, it's just, it's goodbye for a while. You know, we'll, we'll see you again. It might be 20, 30 years. It might be tomorrow. Um, but we know we're going to see them again. Um, so in the same way, God knew that Jesus would rise. Um, and, but he also knew that he was going to endure unimaginable suffering so there's an infinite cost involved when God sent his son to die because the infinite son of God was going to suffer, but there was no risk. Wow. And that's we, a great and, way to put that. There was an infinite yes. cost with no risk. That's a great way to answer that question. Yeah, because God knew that Jesus was going to su- succeed in the mission. He knew that Jesus would live a sin- sinless life, that he would uh, that He would ultimately go to the cross. Even though Jesus in the garden you know, prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. If we can do it another way, essentially is what he's saying. Let's do it another way. But he, then he ended by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah, so it was. he was still going to go to the cross. He was going to fulfill his mission and do it perfectly. And uh, so there was... Um, there was cost, but no risk. And so maybe Leo's question and others who asked that question, maybe they're confusing those two concepts a little bit. That's very interesting. Well, great. That end right there really cleared it up for me. Infinite cost. So was it going to cost? Yes. Was there risk? No. He knew the outcome. I love that contrast, uh, the way you did that. That was that's That really clears it up. It really does for me. I don't know if that does for our listeners. Uh, Leo, if that didn't clear it up, right back in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let us know. But that really helps me uh, as I think through this. All right. Well, very good. I think that's the end of them for today, isn't it? Yes. Episode 10 in the can. Guys, we want to thank you for listening. It would mean a lot to us if you would consider us worthy of giving us a rating on the podcast app that you listen to this uh, with, uh, or even sharing this on your social media site and letting more people learn about the Bible and get their questions answered. Questions they don't even have yet. They will get answered by listening to this. So thank you guys very much. We'd love a rating and love a review. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org.
The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.